The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, in the year AD 303, Roman, the Roman emperor Diocletian, he issued a decree which he hoped would extinguish the spreading flames of Christianity. Now, one of his primary objectives was the seizure and destruction of the Christian scriptures. Later that year, officials enforced the decree in North Africa. One of the targets was Felix, bishop of a village near Carthage. The mayor of the town ordered Felix to hand over his scriptures. Though some judges were willing to accept scraps of parchment, Felix refused to surrender the word of God at the insistence of mere men. Resolutely, he resisted compromise. Roman authorities finally shipped Felix to Italy where he paid for his stubbornness with his life. On August 30th, as the record puts it, with pious obstinacy, he laid down his life rather than surrender his gospels. So how sufficient was the Bible Throughout all the church history, you look at it and you see this understanding, this very, very important characteristic of Scripture called sufficiency. Is the Bible enough? Is the Bible sufficient? Sufficient enough, so much so that many in church history, not just Felix, many in church history gave up their lives for it, for the Bible. Hand over the scriptures or you die. Now, some of us, we got Bibles and got our names plated in it, gold. Some of y'all got, you know, that you guys have a lot of money, so you guys have eel skin Bible covers. There's eel skin right there. Rich people over there. They're going to Disneyland this year, too. Um, The question is, what happens if the federal government, if authorities in our country basically gave you the ultimatum, you give me that Bible, John, or you die. Give me your scriptures or you die. It's interesting when you think about that. Many in church history died for the scriptures, saw the truth of the scriptures as worthy enough to give up their very lives. The question is, think about this, Christianity in general, today, modern evangelicalism. Are we willing to do this today? As a whole, do you think the church would do this today? Are we willing to die if the threat is to take the scriptures from us? Well, when you look at statistics today, it doesn't seem like it because there is a clear trend today of professing Christians who are starting to lose or have been losing confidence in the scriptures and doubting, actually doubting, that it is a supernatural gift of revelation and knowledge from the living God. The Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, um, one of the heads on the board, I I don't know if he's on the board or if he's the head of the actual uh, ministry, um, but the center at... Arizona Christian University, uh, George Barna, George Barna, um, they've been doing some research on this, and they've they reported that they're starting to that we're starting to show signs of a free fall, a free fall in Christian core beliefs and in church attendance. Now we've been seeing this, haven't we? If we've been paying attention, we've been seeing the fall in Christian core beliefs and in church attendance. Now, the church, uh, what Barna said is the church hasn't bounced back from the pandemic like we hoped um, it, we would. And one of the key factors that he says that plays a part in the lack of uh, church attendance and how Christian, Christianity is just not growing anymore, he says one of the key factors was the decline of Bible reading. Interesting. One of the the factors was the decline of Bible reading, which many thought that during the pandemic, that Bible reading would actually go up. We all thought that. I mean, that was one of the things, well, hey, you know what? We're not going to church, you know, a lot of activity stuff. So people have more time to be at home. 
and read their Bibles. What they found was stunning. They found that the actual Bible reading actually went down drastically from where it was. Seems like people wanted to watch more Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and all these other, you know, things that are out there, then read their Bible. It's interesting, he says, that there was a time where 90% of Americans at least claimed to have some kind of connection to Christianity. So whether they were Christians or not, 90% of people in America at least claimed some kind of connection to Christianity or some kind of Christian identity. Now he says that it's under 70%. Only 55, I was shocked with this, and only 55% of evangelicals believe that we are born sinners and that salvation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. 55%. That means the other half of the church doesn't believe that we're sinners and that we can only be saved by Christ. That's a shocking stat because that's not just one of those fringe beliefs We're talking about a core belief. Barna claims that 33% of people sitting in churches today probably don't qualify as one who would be truly converted. 33%. They wouldn't even qualify or even be able to show any fruit of actually being a Christian. He said only a third of evangelicals still believe that when they die, they go to heaven because, of the, because they have faith in Christ. 33% of evangelicals, a third of evangelicals still believe that when they die, they go to heaven only because they have faith in Christ. He also said that this decline has actually been going on for the last 25 years now. And I, I mean, I, I've been able to, I've been, I said amen to that. He said, but it got sped up exponentially with COVID. It just got way worse. He says in, in evangelicals, only 40% will say today that life is sacred. Only 40% actually believe in the sanctity of life today. And he said the number one reason, the number one reason why this is happening is because Christians are losing their theological distinctives. The number one reason they're losing their theological distinctives. One Christian church now is no different than another. And every Christian church is finding themselves more and more like the world. He says, we just don't know who we are anymore. He says, it's interesting when they were doing some of these studies and they're asking questions, it's becoming harder and harder to be able to tell the difference between a modern evangelical and an unbeliever today. How is that possible? Why is this happening? There are less and less people who are able to defend and articulate theological distinctives, and even less who are willing to be in the marketplace to let people know what our theological distinctives are. Less Christians are able to contend for their faith, like it says in Jude, and even less are willing to do it. So number one, what they're saying is that Christians aren't able to defend and contend for the faith anymore, and he says, and an even bigger problem is that with that is that we can't even find people who are even willing to get out in the marketplace and do it. Hmm. Interesting when we're commanded to shout the gospel from the rooftops. Much of this will stem from the way we have come to see the Bible. We don't see it as absolutely necessary anymore. We don't see the Bible as absolutely clear anymore. We don't see it as completely authoritative anymore. And today, we don't see it as sufficient anymore. We, don't, we, we can't survive with just the Bible. We gotta have more. We gotta have more to it. I mean, throughout all of history, that's what we said. If you are a Christian today and all you have is the scripture, then you have everything you need. 
but we don't seem to believe that anymore. It's like we need more. We, we got to have more. It's more than just this. It's more than that. It's the Bible and. It's Christianity and. Remember, if you guys uh, remember the book, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Uh, 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 great book. And, and this, the, the, task, the tactics of the devil to bring the church down. And one of the things was, is he says, what you need to do is you need to create Christianity and. If you can get Christianity and, there'll be a decline in their faith and they'll eventually walk away. We've seen this. How many years ago now have we seen this, that this is a problem when we do this? Professing Christians, they just believe that the Bible is a book written by men, albeit smart men, but written by men, just men. I mean, the, the stunning amount of people uh, that, that say that. Nothing divine, nothing supernatural about it. It's just the Bible. Professing Christians are saying this. And many, you know, it's, it, it's um, if we had to understand that it's not, they'll say it's not detrimental to our faith. You know, one, one popular evangelical preacher actually even says, hey, you don't need the Bible. Uh, you don't need the Bible at all in your life. Uh, you know, he goes, one of the problems we have in modern evangelicalism is that we, we, he says we worship the Bible. He goes, you don't need the Bible to be a Christian. That's how far it got. That's how far away we've fallen from this. Many today might say that the Bible is the very true word of God, but don't feel that it's sufficient for our life with Christ. We need more than just the Bible. We got to have other things than just the Bible. So again, I'm not saying that these other things that supplement the Bible is, is you know, it's a waste of time and it's not, it can't serve a good purpose, but it's not necessary. We don't have to have it in order for us to have a fulfilled life. I had to counsel an individual when the, um, what was that revival down in, was it Louisville or Kentucky? Asbury Asbury revival, yeah, yeah. And I was talking to one individual who's like, you know, wanting to sell his car so that he could get money, so that he could fly down, so that he could be a part of the revival. And it was like the way he was talking, it's like, hey, you know, if I don't go to this revival and I don't experience this revival, I'd say, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to be okay. And I said, well, I got one question for you. Just one. Do you have a Bible? Yes. Then you are fine. Whether you go to the revival or not, you are fine. Everything will be okay. Now, now the thing is, is that a lot of that, you know, I'm not saying all of it. Like I said, I don't want to, I, don't, I am really uncomfortable talking about, you know, or making judgments about these kinds of things un- until, you know, there's been some distance. But the thing that I thought was really interesting was just the sound of real Christian discontentment when I'm talking to individuals who are trying to get to the revival, wanting to be a part of the revival. And I just keep wondering, like, okay, I get it. That's great. That's a great, that's an awesome thing. They're a move of God. God does something awesome. Awesome. Great. I'm, I'm not, not going to ever put that down. But all I am saying to you, though, and we've got to understand this, whether there's a revival happening, whether you're a part of it or not, if you are a Christian, You have the power of the Holy Spirit with you. If you got the scriptures, then you have everything that you need for life and godliness and for you to do every single good work. So whether revival is happening at your church or not, you're fine. Everything is going to be all right. But what it sounds like is a real discontentment because in reality, what we find is we're just not content with the Bible. We're just not content with the word. Yeah, but Shane, you know, you know our Sunday morning service, yeah, you know, our, our Sunday morning service, you know, it's all right. But, you know, you should see what's happening over there, man. It's just awesome. It's just amazing. 
God help us. God help us if we ever get to the point where we're discontent with just receiving God's word and just receiving God at our church. Have we become that discontent? Do we believe that the Bible is that insufficient for our lives? So we go on searching, chasing, running after, hunting, all of these different types of things that are happening in this world in order to to supplement because we don't believe that the Bible and our church is enough. So we go searching for things. We go searching for other stuff. We look for tarot cards. Hey, did you guys know that? That there's Christian tarot card readers now? Yeah, they, they, they don't call them tarot cards. They call them uh, destiny cards. Yeah, you can go, go online. You can look at it and see. You can buy them. Hmm. You know. Oh, the death and resurrection card. Or I don't know what, what it would be. But psh- the, you know, the, you know, just the, the destiny cards. And if you want, you can actually find Christian destiny card readers that will tell you your destiny and your future by flipping these cards. Did you know that there are Christian horoscope readers now? Yeah, this one, this one too, Christian psychics. Yeah, psychics that specialize in Christian stuff. I, I thought they would technically be called prophets, but okay, no, just, that's just me. Uh, philosophy, all kinds of scientific discoveries and, and things that we watch on the Discovery Channel and the History Channel to supplement what the Bible has to say. The media supplements the, the Bible. There's, there's one individual that tells me he doesn't read the Bible anymore because there's plenty of Bible-talking preachers on TikTok, you know, all this stuff. So he, he don't need to, to read this stuff. And I just keep saying, look, I, I've seen these guys. Please don't do that. The celebrities now. You know, people taking more, uh, taking more from their lives from celebrities because they're a celebrity that actually mentions Jesus. You know, and what they have to say is the, the way of life because they're celebrities, they're successful. Social media, we still put more trust in money than we do in God's word. You know, I was just reminded as, I'm, as we're going through, me and the family, we're going through Psalm, uh, one nine, uh, Psalm 119 for the summer. We call it Summertime 119. For the whole summer, we just read Psalm 119 over and over again every single day. You should do that. You should join us with that. It's Psalm 119. It's awesome. It only takes like, you know, 15 minutes. I mean, if you have, you know, less than a bachelor's degree, maybe 25 minutes. But that's just a joke. Um, I was reminded where he prayed in Psalm 119, please don't inflict me with the love for money. Do you guys know that? If you have love for money, it's an affliction. Whew, man. Media, money, pop culture, and people who take more credibility and people who put their hope more in what God is apparently telling people to tell you. Amazing. It's amazing. The Bible which has shown itself and proved itself over 2,000 years now for it to be the divine word of God without question. Again, without question. And people are critical of the Bible, but when some person on TV gets up and says, God told me that you need to do this, we're just, that's what I gotta do. Amazing. Why do we do this? Why does this happen? Opportunities for loss of confidence in the Bible by doing this kind of stuff. Opportunities to be deceived and manipulated by the ways of the worlds and have the seeds, the seeds of Scripture, have the world steal it from us. Do you, do you know that that's, that's the interesting thing about the parable, you know, the, 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 the sower of the seeds, you know, and what happens. It's, it's essentially the word of God. You realize how hard it is just Pure word of God given to you. And you look at all the things that are com- coming against you just naturally. Unfertile ground, 
the birds coming and taking it away. That, that just, there's so much already that's set up to have the word of God snatched from us, taken from us. It's so easy to do that. That's the reason why, family, I get so frustrated when it comes to false teaching and deception and all of these kinds of things. Because you don't realize that the true word of God, every time you receive it, there is hundreds of things coming to take it from you. It is coming for it. That's why in Psalm 119, he talks about hiding. I got to hide your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hiding the word. Are we hiding the word of God today? Are we guarding it? I'm telling you, family, there are hundreds of things that are out there that's trying to take it from you. And then when it takes it from us, we don't have hope. Then we look for satisfaction in the artificial. And then when we realize that the artificial doesn't help, we think that the artificial is God. So then what happens? We turn away from God, which is what's happening today. One of the big reasons why it's happening today is this disbelief that the Bible is enough. There's still time today. We can still help the situation. We can still do something. And vital to this is the declaration and belief, belief deep down in our heart that the Bible is the word of God. The scripture is sufficient. The Bible is enough. And it is enough. If the Bible is enough, then enough is enough. Let's take a look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, let it truly be a lamp unto our feet, light unto our path. Today, help us to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're gonna look at today is what it means to say that scriptures are sufficient. Second, we're gonna see why it's important and that we'll understand why the scriptures are sufficient, namely because Christ is sufficient. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to find the word of God as insufficient for our life, today it is the power of God and the truth of the scriptures that will illuminate the sufficiency of Christ and his word. Point number one, what does it mean? All the words God intended to give his people. That's kind of my definition. All the words that God intended to give his people, it's in the scriptures. Everything God wants us to know, in the scriptures. Does it mean that it's everything God knows? No. It's everything God wants to know. And I, and I know that. I get this. I mean, sometimes I talk to people and they're just like, I just wish God would tell us everything that he knows. He can't tell us everything he knows. Do you know why? Because if he tells you everything he knows, your head's going to explode. You know? <laughs> it's just that we don't understand the, the transcendence of God, how God transcends anything that we could ever think or everything that we could imagine. Think of the most impossible thing and multiply that by infinity. That's what we're talking about. Like people will say, well, hey, you know, there's, you know when we go to heaven, man, we're going to understand everything. No, you're not. You're still not going to understand everything. You'll understand more, but you're not going to understand everything. That's just understanding the difference between what it is to be an infinite creator and for us to be a creation. We're still going to be creation, just FYI, just in case you were wondering. Dr. Wayne Grudem, he says, he defines it as the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history and that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. So the first thing I need to do when it comes to understanding this definition of I think that's pretty sufficient 
for us to know that essentially in the Bible, we have everything that we need to know, that God wants us to know when it comes to life and godliness and obeying him perfectly. But I think sometimes when it comes to the sufficiency of scripture, one of the first mistakes we make is we think that it means everything, that the Bible contains everything. And so one of the first things I get all the time is, well, hey, Shane, the Bible doesn't tell us about the intricacies of photosynthesis. It doesn't have the blueprints of how we should make computers. You know, it doesn't talk about how we need, you know, how, how you get an engineering degree. Isn't that right, Charlie? It, it, it doesn't have all that information to say. So what I'm saying is the Bible is sufficient. I didn't say that it's omni-sufficient. That's essentially what people are asking. Omni-sufficient. So we got to always define sufficiency according to purpose, so the question is, it's sufficient for what? What is the Bible sufficient for? Some may assert that the Bible is sufficient for everything, but I don't think it's accurate for us, accurate for us to say that. It's not sufficient for teaching me Spanish, unless you get the Spanish Bible. It doesn't teach me how to fix a computer or how to you know, fix a gasket in a car or fix a door that doesn't seem to fit anymore. But the Bible is the basis for everything. The Bible may not teach us everything, but it's the basis for everything. All the words God intended to give his people. Let me make that a little bit more definite. What we need to know about Christ, that's what it's sufficient for. If we flush it out a bit more, again, it's not omnisufficient, not specific to everything, but it's the basis of everything. So what am I saying here? I'm saying the scriptures are not a textbook on biology, but they sufficiently provide those ethical and religious perspectives basic to proper science of biology. It's the basis. We know correct biology. We know false biology because of the scriptures. So we won't be deceived when it comes to biology. The Bible is not sufficient for all that we do, but it does speak to all we do sufficiently as to the glory of God, the way salvation and the path, the way of salvation and the path of duty. But isn't that what we're supposed to be concerned about as Christians anyway? I mean, for all you biologists out there, I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't concentrate on your biological studies, but you are a Christian first and foremost right? Samuel Waldron, he writes this. We may take by way of illustration a typical Tuesday in the life of Chris College, a university student majoring in engineering. Thought about you, Charlie, when I saw this. So let's, let's pretend this is Charlie we're talking about. His Bible is insufficient as a textbook for his classes in calculus, in biology, and French, but it does show him the path of duty throughout such a typical Tuesday. It teaches Charlie to pray and read his Bible in the morning, to be diligent and discerning in his studies, to avert his, to avert his eyes when the college temptress, not named Janelle, walks through the library when he is studying. It does provide him with an infallible record of creation and redemptive history, this record does set certain boundaries or limits which guide him in his study of biology and history. So when, biology and the, when the biology teacher and the history teacher is saying that God does not exist, Charlie knows better. A theory of history or biology which contradicts the historical statement of the Bible, he will properly reject. Thus, while... The eth I love this, this, his ethical religious fear of human knowledge is distinct from other fears. It is basic to them all, which is why I'm saying you cannot make sense of science. You cannot make sense of rationalism. You cannot make sense of logic. You can't make sense of ethics and morality without God. Because without God, none of it makes sense. Without God, none of it matters. Oh, yeah. Well, Shane, they, people, non-unbelievers, they do science all the time. Matter of fact, I think unbelievers do science more than Christians. 
Yeah, okay, I can go with that. But they don't even know why they're doing it. I mean, again, think about it. No God, if there's no God, if somebody comes up to you and says, Shane, two plus two is not equal four. Two plus two equals five. If there's no God, who cares? Let me say that again. If there's no God, who cares? It's the basis for everything. Everything we need in life, everything we need for godliness. If all we have is the Bible, then we have all we need to do all the good works we are ordained by God to do. There's no way. Sure, people will say, well, the, the, the Bible is not omnisufficient, all that stuff. It doesn't teach us everything. But you know what? It's funny. It's funny how the Bible is a, a major part of our daily lives. Every single day. I mean, even for the most rigorous study, the person who studies, you know, history. Do you read your history book every single day? Hmm, interesting. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So people are like, well, hey, you know, sure, the Bible, you know, gives us information, everything we need for every good work, but that's only if we're supposed to do good works. The Bible says that that's what we were created for. The scriptures make it clear. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 2 Timothy 3, 15. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. It's telling us right there, the scriptures are there to give us wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And guess what scriptures he was talking about when he wrote this? The Old Testament. Yeah, an Old Testament people... Nice try. Of course, it's still viable today. James chapter 1, verse 18. James 1, 18. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. His word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So, if your goal, now this is a big if, if your goal today is to be a child of God. That, is that an if? Hopefully that's not even an if for us today. But if your goal is to be a child of God and to live your whole life in a way that is worthy of the Lord, worthy of the calling, if that's your goal, if all you have is the scripture, that's all you're ever going to need. If all you have is the Bible, then you have enough already. So maybe we don't think that the Bible is enough because maybe that's not the life we really want. Woo. All right, you guys, take out your seatbelts, buckle it in. You guys are going to want to get up and leave. <laughs> Buckle up, unless it's not what the life that you really want. Maybe we don't find the scriptures helpful and enough because we want what the Lord has not provided for. Oh, sure, the Bible is not going to give you the blueprints and the step-by-step -step directives as to how to rob a bank. So if that's what you want to do, then the Bible's probably not going to be helpful. Google might be better. That's not going to be helpful. See, the problem with this 
is the church is becoming more and more influenced by culture, more and more influenced by society. And even how we see the church and how we do church is so influenced by the culture. Shane, you, people will say, well, Shane, how influences the church by the culture? So much so that pastors today study books written by those relevant to the culture today instead of the scriptures as to how churches should be run. Did you know that? It was interesting, a statistic. I, I can't remember if it was Ligonier. Uh, don't quote me on this. I, I mean, just, just I read it somewhere. But I thought it was really interesting where they talked to, they polled pastors and they talked about the uh, pastor's goal for, for church growth and church discipleship and all of those types of things and the books that pastors were reading for it and they gave the top five. And I think it was something like three out of the five were books that were written by non-Christians talking about how we can be relevant to our postmodern culture, how we can better reach and engage with the culture. And we're, we're reading books. Oh, but Shane, you know, you, you, you got to understand, man, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, these people really know their stuff. They're experts in all of these types of things. I'm like, oh, blah, blah, yeah. When it comes to anything that the Bible gives us directives for, we don't follow the world. Are you out of your mind? What does the Bible say about those who don't believe? That their hearts are darkened that their minds are confused, that their hearts are hardened. We're not going to listen to this. Why are we listening to this? Because maybe what we really want is not what the Bible provides. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, I'm going to just do one. Okay, Jack. Can I do just one? I'm just going to do one. You guys have no idea how ecstatic I was to, you know, I, I'm sorry for you Rick Warren fans out there. You don't know how ecstatic I was when Rick Warren got the <laughs> out of the SBC. I, that guy has been a bane of my existence, honestly. Anyway, um, because he caused this trend that caused the problem for my church, my church specifically, that just blew things up. And just made it just so difficult. He, what, what it, I, I don't know if I can remember right, but is it called Saddleback Sam? Does that ring a bell for any of you guys? I think he called it Saddleback Sam. What Rick Warren says is that if you want to be able to reach the culture for Jesus, what you have to do is you have to, you have to define your demographic, type of person that you're looking for, and he called it Saddleback Sam. A, a, a person who is in this demographic, uh, he, he you know, works in this area, lives in this area, makes this much money. You have to find out who your target audience is. And those are the people that you got to go for. Set up your church so that your church is, is, is um, um, going to appeal to whatever demographic. So pick your demographic. And when you pick your demographic, you will be successful in reaching that demographic. And that demographic are the people that were, that's going to come to the church. And the whole convention, man, the, the convention in Hawaii and everything, oh, that's a really good idea. See, the problem is, is we're out there trying to reach everybody, then we reach nobody. So let's reach the certain demographic. So everyone's trying to decide who, who, who our Saddleback Sam is, who, who this person is. And churches, we're going after this and we're going to go after this demographic of people. And then they're all nodding to her. Oh, yeah, great idea. And they're just, oh, yeah, well, people in my, and they're all taking notes and they're all doing this. And I'm sitting over there with my hand on my head going, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't tell us to find out who your demographic is. The Bible doesn't tell us to find out who, what the, the socioeconomic uh, the standard is that you're supposed to go after. The Bible doesn't tell us that. And I just, I stood up and I said, guys, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. Do you know what that means? We don't reach out to Saddleback Sam. We reach out to everybody. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care where you live. 
I don't care if you live above ground or below ground. I don't care what color you are. I don't care any of that stuff. Why? Because the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Yeah, the Bible tells us to read. This is what I'm talking about. We're getting, we're getting this stuff. Because maybe the goal is not the goal that we're supposed to have. Paul says that his goal is to present to Christ a gigantic megachurch. I can tell those of you that haven't been reading your Bibles lately because you're like, um, nobody did that. His goal was to present to Christ a pure church, a pure church. Not a huge church, a pure church. What is our goal when it comes to the church anymore? What is our goal? My goal is not to bring people in here as fast as possible. Our goal here at Central Baptist Church, and it's our slogan right down at the bottom of our website page, we are here to make disciples. Make disciples. Why we do what we do? Maybe it's because what we want, the Bible doesn't provide. So here is the statement. When it comes to life as a Christian, okay, this is the price of admission right here. So if you forget everything I said, don't forget this. When it comes to our lives as Christians, if you can't find what you need in the scriptures, then you probably don't want it. But that might be the problem, right? Maybe it's because we do want it. Oh, it's Donna? Okay. Maybe it's because we do want it. Oof. I know it's hard. But we gotta be honest today, family. Come on, just be honest. Okay, I don't know what's going on in your mind. Okay? So I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call you by name. I'm not going to make you get up and come to the altar. All that. I'm not, but be honest today. Do we want what the Bible is not giving us directives for? Is that what we want? When people will say, well, hey, Shane, I mean, you know why? Because the Bible is just speaking in generalities. I need to know God's will for my life specifically. Why can't he give me specifics? That's what I need. That's why I need to hear the voice of God so God can tell me what I'm supposed to do specifically. I just need to know his will for my life. Uh, family, this, this, this whole thing with the will of God thing, what, what I learned through the scriptures when it comes to the will of God and finding the will of God for your life and all of that kind of stuff, you know what? It absolutely blew my mind and it changed everything that I did when I come to realize that all we need is the Bible. It's funny because we don't think that we need the Bible because we need specifics, but we don't realize just how specific scripture is. We want to do this outreach program. We want to reach out and we want to do this, but we got to pray about it and we need God to let me know if we should do this or not. So let's all pray so God can let us know what we got to do when it comes to reaching out to these people with the gospel. Family, we don't need to hear God's voice. We don't need a sign. We don't have to throw out a fleece. I remember... Gideon wasn't praised for that. Hello. We don't need to throw out the fleece. Do you know how I know that when you have a desire to reach out to this community with the gospel, do you know how I know that this is God's will? Because the Bible tells us that this is what we're supposed to do. Go into all the world to make disciples. Do you know why we want God's directive on this? 
Do you know what we're really asking when we do stuff like that? It's not because we're coming from a Christian biblical disposition. We're operating in our culture, our worldly disposition of pragmatism. We want God's directive on this mission that we want to do because we don't want to fail. That's really what we're saying. I need God to give me the thumbs up so I know that if we do this, it's not going to fail. Do you know how I know that? Because if God were to tell you, hey, yeah, you know, yeah, you're going to do an outreach over here. And, you know, you, let's just say you do the, the Urum and Thummim, you know, and you do the, the lots and you do that. And let's just say you throw the lot and, you know, you want to reach out to these people with the gospel and you throw the lot and you say, Is, are we going to be successful with this? And the thing falls and it says no. Let's just say you get the voice from God and God says no. It's not going to be successful. How many of you guys believe that most everybody not going to do it? right? Is this going to be successful? No, then I ain't going to do it. Why would we do this? Why would you want to do this, Shane? It's not going to be successful. It's not going to, to do what it is that you know, we want it to do. So let's not do it. Well, hopefully this is blowing your minds. I'm hoping that you're seeing this. So we know we're supposed to reach out with the gospel, but because God says this is not going to be successful, we're not going to do it. That's not biblical. That's our culture. We don't fail. We succeed. The goal in life is success. How many times did God tell men of God in Scripture to go out and do things and it failed? How many times? Remember, God told Jeremiah, I want you to go out there and I want you to preach. I want you to preach my word and prophesy my word and tell everybody. And God told him straight up, didn't he? And nobody's going to listen to you. And I love, I love this one. I love saying this one. Greatest, the greatest human being in the world. Jesus said, who was the greatest human being in the world? Nobody, born of woman, greater than this man. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist did what he needed to do. And did John the Baptist live the rest of his life happily ever after? Tell him what he's won, Bob. It's amazing. It's amazing. The Bible is enough. The Bible is enough for marriage even too, for those of you that are out there that are still single and one day hoping to be married. That excludes my daughters. <laughs> oh, what about, what about my wife? I need to know. I need to know. God needs to tell me who she is. Show me a picture of it. It's all this... Uh, the Bible gives you one directive when it comes to marrying somebody. Do you know that? One command. Do not marry an unbeliever. But that's not enough, man. I got to know because, you know, I don't want to marry this individual and do this and this and this. And, this. and what if it has problems? What if we're not compatible? What if we're not this? And what if we're fighting all the time? And what if this doesn't work out and all this stuff? Let me tell you something, family something that's not being told enough when it comes to marriage. <laughs> not directly, specifically in context. But with Christ, nothing will be impossible for you. That's why you make it. That's why you can make it. That's why you'll get through it. That's why you don't marry an unbeliever. If they're a believer, if you're a believer, then there's nothing God is not going to pull you through. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. Just, just try that. Just trust God's word. You already know everything you need to know about, about God's will. 
if you start chasing specifics, all you're probably doing is being led and run by the pragmatism of this world, and that is an ungodly way to be. We trust in God. We rest in God, and God will pull us through. Man, hopefully I just saved you countless hours of whining and pining for specifics with God. Now your prayer time will be a lot quicker, and you can get to Netflix a a lot faster. But the reason why this happens is this pesky thing called sin, this pesky thing called the flesh. And we've got to understand that sin, man, it's just this horrible, awful thing. The wages of sin is death. And all of us have done it. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way. We all, by nature, do what is right in our own eyes, and the word of God is rejected even when we read it's confused and it's distorted. And the fear of sin is the consequence of sin. Why is this horrible? Why is this terrible? Because sin brings the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being poured out. The Bible says it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the place of outer darkness and eternal fire. The place of torment, the place reserved for the devil and his angels. It is condemnation of the worst kind and we all are born into this. The question is, Shane, can we be saved from this? Absolutely we can. Yes, we can through the scriptures and we can know sufficiently this that we can be saved. We can be certain that we have complete knowledge of this wonderful thing called the gospel, the awesome and great gospel of Jesus, the greatest message ever told. Paul says it is there to make us wise to this salvation, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance of Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And family, the gospel, the good news just keeps flowing from this sufficient Bible that we have that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All of this is written that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. And family, the message is clear. The message is complete. It's all there in his word. All that is needed for salvation. All that is needed for us to live life perfect in perfect obedience with the Lord and in perfect obedience to live with each other. Sufficient. We got all we need. We're set. We're set. Enough. It's enough. And if enough is enough, then enough is enough. Unless you don't believe The Bible is the Word of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.